Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. I'm so glad you guys are with us. Uh, You ready to dive in um, to this new series? What my life is missing. All right, so let's, let's go. Uh, we're gonna land here for three weeks and I wanna talk about uh, really two big things. I wanna set it up today and then I wanna kind of unpack it these next two weeks. And this is just like moving way down. That's kind of how I wanted to start this year. Like again, kind of 101 level, but um, this is such an important topic. Um, in fact, originally I was gonna do a relationship series and some of you are like, oh crap, that would've been better. But we'll come back to that later on. Uh, but I really wanted to land here because it's just where I felt like we were being led. And this, the kind of series title says it all. Like we can get into these seasons and all of us have been there where, where there's just this nagging feeling like something's not right, something's missing, I'm not where I wanna be, or just something's a little bit off. And it may not even be some big dramatic thing. It's just like something is not right. There's just a restlessness in my spirit. And over this last year, I think that's especially important because so many of us have walked through some really difficult stuff, some uncertainty, and I don't need to like unpack that. It's different for everybody, but at the same time, there's been this shared craziness over the last year where that feeling can set in more than ever. And what I want to connect is this principle in the New Testament and this idea that literally is the basis for the entire New Testament, which is like Matthew to Revelation, if you're new to this whole thing, where Jesus says that a lot of that is connected to this big idea, but we never make the connection. Like we never really see the connection. And so what I wanna do, and I'll explain it in a few minutes, is in some ways in this series, I wanna lift our heads up. Figuratively, um, maybe literally. And I wanna expand our vision. Because it is so easy when you are walking through stuff that the first thing to go is vision. And when you don't have vision, it's hard to persevere. When you don't have vision, it's tough to keep going. When you don't have vision, it's really difficult to see through obstacles and realize that it's an obstacle, I wouldn't choose it, but maybe God is gonna use it. It's really difficult. In fact, in the New Testament, it says, if you don't have vision, people perish, or literally, people cast off restraint. They don't really know where they're going. You have to be compelled and led by vision. So one day Jesus is on a hillside and it's my favorite part of the scriptures. And it's, that's easy for me to say, it's my favorite part of the scripture. Jesus with his guys and he turns to them and he asks a question. He's like, what, what's the word on the street about me? And they're like, what do you mean? And Jesus is like, no, no, what are, like, what are people saying about me? And that's like a dangerous question to ask unless you're Jesus because inevitably the answer is like, nobody's talking about you, man. But um, in this case, they were like, everybody's talking about Jesus. And they're like, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist, you're a reincarnated prophet. Like there's all kinds of views about you. And then Jesus turns back to his guys, like eyeball to eyeball and says, no, no, I know. But I wanna know, what do you say about me? Like, who do you think that I am? And then Peter has his like shining moment. He gets called Satan right after this. But this is his moment. Let's just like be, be there right now and give him props. Peter in Matthew 16, 16 answers, you're the Messiah. Or literally, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus is like, that, that answer was given to you by God. There's no way you'd come up with that on your own, but that's exactly right. Like standing in front of you is the promised Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in verse 18, Jesus says this, and this is a promise, and I don't wanna over-dramatize this, but this is not over-dramatization. This promise changed the world. Jesus turns to Peter and he's like, upon this rock, and, and literally this statement, the statement that just Peter just made, that you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Jesus is like, on that rock or on that statement, I'm gonna build my church. Literally translated, my body. Literally, this movement, this church is gonna be the physical representation of Jesus on planet earth because I'm gonna peace out in a little while, but I'm gonna leave you guys and you're gonna rep me. But my church, my body, my movement, and by the way, Peter, you're gonna lead it and then I love this promise. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And they had no idea what was coming. But Jesus is like, not, not death, not the crusades, not the inquisitions, not crazy religious people, not hypocrites, no power, not even the power of hell is going to be able to overcome it. And then Jesus keeps talking. We always stop there. This next verse never gets a lot of airplay, but this is so massive for us if you're a follower of Jesus specifically. And if you're not, like I'm hoping that you track with me because so much of what we're gonna talk about, some of, some of the fact that we have not gotten this or taken this seriously is why you walked away a while ago. But what Jesus says next is so unbelievably powerful and it is a corporate promise to us as followers of Jesus who are part of this movement called the church. Jesus says, and that's not all. Because his guys are sitting there going, okay, Jesus, all due respect, are you sure? Like, there's 12 of us. I don't know if you noticed, we're in the middle of the desert. We got no money and no influence. And things aren't actually going great for us right now. Are you, like, are you sure this is gonna happen? And Jesus is like, okay, not only that, you, talking about the church, us, this movement in every generation, will have complete and free, what's the word? Free access, meaning it's up to you, it's available to you. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, and this is so important, keys to open any and every door and no barrier between heaven and earth. And Jesus, when he was crucified, this moment happened where the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that every barrier has been removed. And now no longer do you need any go-between. You have direct access to God in relationship. But not only that, you have direct access to the power of God. And now in this moment, Jesus is forecasting all of this, is that I am going to give you church, body, gathering, movement. I'm gonna give you the keys to tear away every barrier between the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of earth. That's crazy. And this wasn't some like ridiculous promise of Jesus starting that if you believe it, God's just gonna do it. And if you have faith, it's gonna happen. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to understand in every generation, it's never gonna be perfect until Jesus comes back. But Jesus is starting something brand new. And here's what the kingdom of heaven could be characterized by, is that one day the kingdom of heaven is gonna be fully ushered in and every tear is gonna be wiped away and justice is gonna prevail, and guilt and shame are gonna go running, and relationships are gonna be restored, and everything is going to be made right. That's the kingdom of heaven. But here's what Jesus is saying in this moment on that hillside. I'm not waiting for heaven. I'm not waiting for change, because some of you are just gonna sit around waiting for change. Change is here. 
I have now called you and ushered you in to this thing, this church, and that one day kingdom starts being ushered in today through you because the church is the body of Jesus and where you find Jesus, you find power. And in this moment, Jesus is going, listen, you are gonna be tempted your entire Christian journey to just wait around for stuff or allow circumstances and events to take the feet out from under your faith or you're gonna constantly be waiting for some day down the road. And Jesus is like, if you do that, I want you to come back to this promise. I have given you keys to free access to the kingdom of heaven that is to overtake the kingdom of earth. And one day it's gonna be fully ushered in, but we are not waiting for that day. You are now change makers with the spirit of God inside of you. And as I release you on this hillside, I want you to understand that that is your calling. That is your destiny. That is what the church has been designed to do. And if you find yourself in any moment in any generation where you feel a lack of power or the sense of the presence of God, you have lost sight of what I have called you to. And those guys on that hillside believed that. And we talk about this all the time around here and they accessed it. They walked away from that hillside with no influence and no power and no leverage and no followers on Twitter and no book deals that were coming. For most of them, just death. And they walked away and they turned Rome upside down and they allowed a unjust system to be trampled on. And they allowed a religious system to be turned around forever and racial dividing walls began, began to fall. And it's not an overstatement to say those guys on that hillside, as the message began to multiply, literally changed the world. And so here's my question. And I just have been wrestling with this question and I wrestle with this question a lot. And I have for quite a few years. Where did that power go? Like where the heck did that power go? And what if that is available in our families, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our context where God has called us to? And come on, I don't wanna be insensitive. I get that the last year has been difficult, but you know one of the most discouraging things for me is to watch Christians' faith be so unbelievably fragile that the moment it gets difficult, they start walking away with no idea that God has called us to this in our generation and we have everything that we need to make an impact and to turn things around and to see God move. But here's the huge advantage these guys have that we don't have is that they had been with Jesus, right? So like they walked with Jesus, they hung out with Jesus, they did ministry with Jesus, they heard what Jesus taught where Jesus was like, listen, if you, if you want to make a difference in your life, you gotta give your life away. If you wanna make an impact and you wanna see and experience God's power and God's presence, you need to take up your cross. If you really want me to work in your life, you're gonna find your life by giving your life away and I've called you to go, I've called you to step out and when you step out and when you go into any arena of your life, when you're willing to step out in faith, when it's a little uncertain, on the other side of that, you're gonna find my power, my will, and my destiny for your life. In fact, they knew this and this is what I wanna boil it down to. They knew that to step into their calling, they would have to step out of their comfort zone. 
And listen, even if you're not a Jesus follower and you're watching us, you're listening via unfiltered radio, which is tens of thousands of you, if you're um, watching via live stream and you're like, I'm not sure about the whole Jesus thing, I track with me to end. My hope is that you would come to connect with Jesus. But what I'm about to talk about is just a human dynamic that you can relate to either way. But here's what these guys specifically as followers of Jesus knew is that the gravitational pull for all of us and specifically the gravitational pull of the local church is always to move toward comfort. Like your gravitational pull is to always move toward comfort. So Jesus in the New Testament, about 60 years after all of this went, took place where miracles hap- are happening, Jerusalem is being turned upside down. The message of Jesus is moving. 60 years later, Jesus sits down and through the writing of Paul writes this letter to a church in Laodicea, a real place in the first century. And basically he says this, listen, what's holding you back guys is not Rome. Because 60 years later, all of a sudden, they're like, God, where are you at? What's going on? What's happening? All of our leaders are getting crucified. And Jesus is like, your issue is not Rome. It's not the Pharisees. It's not decaying culture. You're getting in your own way. Like you have lost sight of what I've given you and what I've called you to in the last 60 years. And it's why you're no longer experiencing my presence and my power. And here's what he writes to them. And I'll just give you a heads up, man. This is so in your face. So I didn't write it. This is Jesus' words. Take it up with him. John, toward the end of his life, pinned them. But this is Jesus going like, I love you. I love you. I love this movement. I love the church. And because I love you, Jesus would say, Like, I just, I want you to help self-diagnose the problem and then I want to lead you into something better. And so here's what he says, this church, like they're waiting, like, okay, we're just, God, give us some direction, help us to know where to go. And then Revelations 3, 15, Jesus is like, I know you inside and out and I find little to my liking. They're like, Jesus, you should have, like, you need to couch that and, uh, hey, it's good to talk to you guys and it's, it's been a while, hope things are good and then you lead into that. Jesus is like, no, no, I know you inside and out. I, I find little to my liking. Like, like, let's just get to the point. And then he says this, you're not cold, you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. And this is where my mind goes, like, the only thing I can think of is Shaq in an icy hot commercial when I read this verse. And like, so if you wanna know what my quiet time looks like, that's where my mind goes as I'm reading verses. But like, he's like, I wish you were either cold or hot. And, and here's in essence what he's saying. Like guys, like 60 years ago, do you know how this started? And here you are. I wish that you were at least sensitive to engage the needs of your culture, but you don't really even know what's going on. And the moment things have have started to get rough, the moment things are uncertain, the moment you start to receive opposition, like it's taken the legs out from under your faith and there's no passion. It's like you're not even aware anymore. You don't even know what I'm I'm doing. You don't even know what's happening in your generation, in your city, in your villages. Like I wish that you were just on one side or the other. Either just abandon me completely or go all in, man. But like there's nothing there. Here's how this connects with me, is that like right now, the church in our culture, we're in what is called a post-Christian culture, which means increasingly, it's not even that like, I grew up in it and walked away. There's a lot of that, but more and more, it's I didn't even grow up in it. There's a huge, massively growing group called the nuns, and the nuns are characterized by, I don't really know. Not really sure what I believe. 
Yeah, maybe. I'll take a little of this, a little of that. There's some stuff to the Jesus thing. I think he was a good teacher, but I don't really know. Increasingly, that is the generation. That's the culture we live in. And by the way, that doesn't freak me out at all. Many, many generations and many cultures with Jesus followers have lived in areas and places and belief systems like that. And the Jesus movement has flourished. In fact, I will make the case from history is anytime Jesus followers are the minority, that is the greatest opportunity for the Jesus movement to flourish. And we live right now in a culture where like people aren't leaving, like they've already left and we keep showing up satisfied to just listen and sing songs and lift our hands and go our way to brunch with no intention of doing anything. And we are angry when we should be empathetic. And we are leveraging politics when we should be leveraging the message of Jesus. And we're in a place where we are passionless and passive when we should be bold. And Jesus would just boil it all down to go, you are so comfortable that you've lost your vision. You, you don't even know what I'm doing. And here's what I love this letter and, and Jesus' words through John is because here's the a quick theological lesson. I'll be quick and move on. Here's the thing we always get confused about with, with every movie I ever watch, and I can't. I know there's movies out there and shows. You should watch this about the Jesus and the disciples. I can't. So unrealistic every single time. Jesus is always soft-spoken, and he's, he just, there's nothing about him that looks like what Jesus would actually look like, and just the inauthentic, I can't do it. And the idea is we always picture Jesus as this, you know, soft-spoken, I always make fun of this, but he's like petting a lamb and he's, you know, just really sensitive and, and, and he, you know, he was sensitive. But the primary ministry of Jesus when he came to earth was not to comfort. I don't want to lose you. you, you can go read on this, but the Holy Spirit's role was to comfort. Jesus' primary role when he touched down on planet earth was to confront. Every system every ideology, everything that had been turned upside down to go, like I brought in a new kingdom. And and here's the reality, like comfort is easy, but it's not healthy because anything that changes requires discomfort. And Jesus stepped out on planet earth to go, no, I love you. And the Holy Spirit has come as the great comforter. I've come to confront you. I've come to confront religious leaders. I've come to confront the stuff that we don't see, not because I don't love you, because I love you enough to go, there is a better way. And I'm not gonna allow, allow you to stay here and trade off when I have given you this promise of I wanna give you life and life to the full. And so you've got a choice. It's either comfort or it's keys to power. It's either comfort or it's calling. It's either comfort or it's God's kingdom. But I cannot stress this enough. I don't think you can have both. I don't think you can just be comfortable all the time in your religious journey, your faith journey, or as a church and fully experience all that God wants to bring in. And come on, is that not so incredibly difficult in every area of our life? Like we just want both. Like I I want it all. I want abs. I don't want to do any planks. You want to have great sex. You don't want to have to sacrifice in relationship, right? Okay. Okay. All right, whatever. Um, Here's the reality. Jesus will not do what is powerful when you are stuck in what is comfortable. And we have to understand that. And so he says this in verse 16, you're stale, you're stagnant, and you make me want to vomit. (laughs) Okay, Jesus, that's harsh. And and here's his whole point, and here's the reference that he's using, is that there was an aqueduct system 
where they lived and it brought stale water constantly. And like stale waters, I mean, it's not that bad, but if you ever drank stale water, you know what I'm talking about? Like out of a faucet, which back in the day, like that's all we did. Now my kids want water on tap. Like when I was growing up, like you just drink out of the hose. You just drink out of the faucet outside and you don't ever come back inside. But like that water that comes out that's just stale and whatever, or it's the equivalent of like we're driving and my kid's screaming and Case is at the age where like if you can just give him a drink, like he'll shut up a lot of times. And so you're like hunting for the drink and you get it and you throw it in his mouth and you realize there's like chunks of milk coming out because that was the drink from last Tuesday that was still on the floor in the car. Don't leave me up here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's a real thing. Okay. You want to act like I'm the only one that's done that. Like, this, it's not that bad, but this is like, okay, this is, you don't want to drink this almost to the point of like, you want to vomit. And Jesus is like, you're stale, you're stagnant. You're like the stale, nasty water that comes through the aqueduct system. It's the best way I can describe it. And Jesus, in essence, is going, there's just no power. There's nothing inspiring. There's nothing life-changing. There's no miracles. It doesn't look a lot like a movement anymore. Just 60 years after I came back from the dead. And I think as John is pinning this, he's like, do you guys know? Hey, Laodicea, do you guys know how this movement started? Do you guys understand? Do you have any idea? that we watched Jesus die and then we walked into the streets and Peter is like, listen, I know that you could literally crucify me, but there is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. And literally Peter walks into the streets at the threat of his own life and is willing to go, listen, I'll die even though a weekend ago I was a coward because I'm telling you, Jesus has done something in our generation. And then they walked into villages and they nursed the sick back to health and they gave value to children and to women. And they invited in the marginalized and people on the fringes of society. And the safest place in the world for them was in the local church. And all of a sudden, God began to move in an incredible way. And as John is pinning this, he's, come, he's going, come on. We're 60 years after the fact. And already, you just look stale and stagnant and like nothing is happening. And there's no miracles. And yet, you are the stewards of this message in your generation. Like 60 years ago, Jesus stood on a hillside to say, listen, I'm going to give you keys that will access the kingdom of God and his power in your generation. What in the world are you doing? In verse 17, then he confronts the issue. You brag, I'm rich. I've got it made. I don't need anything from anybody. In essence, Jesus is going, this is the issue. It's not culture. It's not Rome. It's not the Pharisees. It's not that you need to take back Israel. It's not morality. That is not the issue. Church, Laodicea, you have gotten in your own way. The issue is your comfort. The issue is you've forgotten. The issue is you are so complacent that you've lost your vision. And come on, isn't it true? Is that like you move into that place of comfort, like comfortable is something that honestly, like we can even get comfortable in our own dysfunction and habits and we're good with it. And somebody tries to take them away, you're like, no, 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 no. Like whether it's relationships, whether it's gossip, and it kind of becomes a little friend of ours, 
whether it's how we handle our money, whether it's like how we're treating our bodies, literally you can get so comfortable in your dysfunction and habits that you just stay there. And Jesus is going, the issue is that you have become so comfortable that you've missed it because the greatest enemy to your faith is not fear, which is what many of us think. The greatest enemy to your faith is familiarity. You become so familiar, Jesus would say to this church, that nothing moves you anymore. That you've lost all vision of what I've given you access to and what I wanna do in your generation. In fact, you can become so familiar with my grace that you don't extend it anymore. And your church looks like a social club and you've made enemies out of everybody. And the very people you have been called to love in your generation with the keys to the power of the kingdom of heaven are the very people who are now your enemies and you have lost sight and you become comfortable with everybody else who believes what you believe and you're not having any impact in your generation and you wonder why you don't sense my presence and why you don't have any power. And then I love this, he says this. So, this is Jesus' wrap up. I know it's a little in your face. Stick with me to the end. Jesus is like, but here I am. I didn't go anywhere. Here I am. Here I am. Like all the things that like you're struggling with and worrying about, you're pleading with God to move, you're pleading with God to intervene, you're, you're pleading to experience God's presence. And I love this. Jesus is like, here I am. And then the next part of this like has been so misinterpreted. I've, and this sounds so crazy, but I've never heard this, this verse interpreted correctly. And that sounds kind of arrogant, but Jesus is writing this to the church. He's writing this letter to people who are already followers of Jesus. And he says this, here I am. I stand, Jesus is saying, at the door and knock. And anybody, who hears my voice and invites me in, I'm coming. And he's not, and I've so often heard this quoted, like you just, if you, you know, you don't know Jesus, you wanna invite Jesus into your heart, he's knocking at the door of your heart. It's not what this verse is saying. And that's very confusing. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm here I'm ready to show off my presence and my power. And the moment that you turn in my direction and hear my voice, and come on, in our culture, I think his voice might look like marriages that are eroding at rapid pace, suicide rates that are through the roof, people that are walking away from the church and the Jesus thing in droves, and there just doesn't seem to be a lot that's relevant. And Jesus is going, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will, what is it? What's the invitation? Now, come on, do better than that. I will, what? So here's the terrifying other side of this. And this is not Jesus making a statement about like, I'm not present, my Holy Spirit isn't here. This is practical, my presence and my power. But here's the terrifying part of this verse, kind of the inverse side of this, is that Jesus is going, you can show up and you can sing songs to me, and you could even call yourself a Jesus church and you can put that on the sign and you can show up week after week and your worship can be amazing and you can preach till your heart is content and you can have tears and you can feel it and you can be moved. And it may just be possible that while you're showing up for church as part of the Jesus movement, Jesus isn't even there. 
because he's going, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, which means you're the body, you're this gathering, you're the movement of Jesus, and Jesus is like, could Jesus be invited into the Jesus movement? Could Jesus have a role in this thing that is supposed to be the body of Jesus? Can you let me in to be a part of this gathering that I've instituted to be the representation of my power and my presence on planet earth? And Jesus is going, listen, I'm here, I'm ready. I wanna be invited in. And this isn't necessarily that you've stopped believing, you've abandoned Jesus, you've walked away from faith. Jesus is like, this is the subtle side of it that you never see. You just got so comfortable that you keep meeting in my name, but you're not experiencing much of my power. And I just wanna tell you, every church, every Christian, in every generation, the gravitational pull is to move toward comfort. And all of a sudden, without even realizing it, you get to a place where we are complacent and we are comfortable and we've settled into our complacency. And as our complacency settles in, Jesus' power runs out. And so I just wanna give us a couple of things I'm gonna be done. So here's the question. How do you know? Like, how do we know? Like, how do you know if you're drifting in this direction? How do we, as the church, whether it's capital T, capital C church, us as, as a movement called Centerpoint that is an expression of this larger body, like, how do we know? And I just wanna pinpoint three things that I'm gonna be done. We stop seeing and praying for the miraculous. And again, I don't mean some weird, some of you left some stuff because you're like, that's just weird. I don't see that in the scripture. My life doesn't match up to that. This is not, again, like you just believe it. You have faith. God's gonna do it. You actually don't see that anywhere in the scripture. Sometimes you're gonna believe it. You're gonna have enough faith and none of it's gonna happen. And God's going, I want you to walk through this anyway because I wanna show my power off through this hell that you would never choose, but I'm gonna use it and I'm gonna lead you forward in your faith. But there is this context all throughout the New Testament that started at Pentecost of God wanting to move in a significant way. And it is so easy to get to a place where we're not even asking for God to do anything beyond finding my keys and getting my kids into that school. And that's great. It's probably going to happen anyway, or you're going to get some new keys. I think you should pray for that. But have you prayed for anything in the last 60 days where you are maybe figuratively or literally on your knees going, God, if you don't move in this, it's not going to happen. Is there anything that you can look at in your life over the last year to go, the only explanation for this, because I have no other explanation, is God did something that was beyond what I can manufacture. And I'm just telling you, man, we can get so comfortable and like, well, we're not that kind of denominational. No, I'm not talking about weirdness, but I'm talking about we can so easily lose sight of, we just do our year to year, month to month, and there's no real life change. There's nothing we can point to to go, no, legitimately, I feel like that was a miracle of God. I have no other explanation. And we just stop praying for it. We stop looking for it. There's nothing in us that goes, okay, God, rather than just keep me safe, help me find my keys, get my kids in. I hope we can do this kitchen remodel. There's nothing in it that goes, no, God, stretch me and grow my faith and move in me. I had a professor in seminary that said this. I never forgot it. He's like, when I come to your church, if I ever get to come to your church, he's like, I won't worry about anything other than determining how big your faith is because your faith and how big your faith is will determine how big your God is. And he's like, that will determine everything else in your church. And his point was, 
do you have enough faith to continue to believe in your culture that seems to war against it, that God is still on the move and that God is still doing the miraculous and that God can still heal and God can still change and God can still do things that on the other side of it, your only explanation is that was God who moved in that situation and there is no other way to explain it. When was the last time that happened? And then number two, we become spiritual consumers rather than servant leaders. I think it's so easy where we want purpose and we want power on the backs of somebody else's service, somebody else's sacrifice, somebody else's generosity. And Jesus is like, no, 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 the church, church, you are my body. I've called you to sacrifice. I've called you to serve. I've called you to get uncomfortable for the sake of one another. And you wanna see your family healed? You should go try to heal somebody else's family by just being available and sitting with kids in a circle to go, I'm gonna invest in the next generation. You want your marriage to be healed? Go sit with some people in some groups and pray with other couples that are struggling. Go take your dysfunction and your hurt and go begin to love other people in the midst of that and watch God begin to work. But you don't get God's power on the backs of somebody else's service, sacrifice, or generosity. God's going, I wanna do something through you. I want you to engage. And come on, you are not a spiritual consumer. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a servant leader and you have been called to play your role. It's Jesus with his disciples one day, they're walking like, Who's, we wanna be the greatest in the kingdom. Can one sit on your right, one on your left? And Jesus is like, you have no idea what it's now like to be in the kingdom of God. Do you know how the Pharisees leverage authority over other people? And his disciples are like, yeah, that's why we want some authority. And Jesus turns to them eyeball to eyeball and says, not so with you. Not in my kingdom, not in my movement, not in my church. Everybody plays a role. Everybody plays a part. And I would go so far to say this. When you resist your role in the body of Christ to serve, to step out of your comfort, to be engaged, you resist the full measure of Jesus' power in your life. And this is the thing that we always miss. Some of us are walking aimlessly and we're praying for God to move and we are resisting the one thing that God made so clear. This is my will for your life until I take you home. And if you have stepped outside of it, this is kind of bold. You have stepped outside of the will of God and you have forfeited some of what, it's not just corporate. God wants to do something corporately, but it also has a direct link to what God wants to do in your own life. You are not a spiritual consumer in your very DNA because now you are a follower of Jesus. You are a servant leader. You've been called to engage where God has placed you. And then thirdly, I think we know if we drifted in this direction, when we start asking me-centered questions. How does it affect me? How do I feel? What do I like? How does it affect me? How do I feel? What do I like? How does it affect me? What do I feel? What do I like? And Jesus is going, no, no. The Jesus movement isn't about you. In fact, we can even do this with God. I've talked a lot about it, where our whole, our whole following of Jesus just becomes, God, we good? God, are you pleased? God, are we okay? Have I read enough? Have I prayed enough? Are we good? Are you pleased? And Jesus is going, I died for you on the cross. I'm for you. I don't need you to constantly be looking at me any longer. If you wanna know how you are with me, go ask how you are with your neighbors. Go ask how you're engaging and loving your neighbors. Now, the authentication and demonstration of your love for me is gonna be determined by how you love other people around you. It's no longer just the vertical, it's the horizontal. Okay, can I just, come on. Here's one of the things that like we've made as the basis for our church, and I don't want this to sound insensitive, but I've been accused of sounding that way sometimes. But I just wanna say this, like Jesus made his statement so clear that the thing that is gonna unite the Jesus movement 
is that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And around that idea, and the fact that salvation is found in him, that's all you need. And he's going, okay, church, go. Which means one of the things that we do here is I'm very not interested in people who are already in, meaning already a Jesus follower, know Jesus, love Jesus, I'm gonna see them in heaven. I don't really care what they like, what they feel, their favorite song, how we can accommodate them, what they're comfortable with, what's great, whether we agree on everything, I don't really care. And I just over and over again, lovingly, and this may be taken the wrong way, there's lots of churches, go to one of them if all you are concerned about is your preferences. But we are a movement that is for the city and for the world and is not about us. We are reaching people far from God. So we don't really care what your preference is. Not that we don't listen and we don't want to approve, but just know as a Jesus follower, if you're a part of this church and maybe you're not going to want to be after this, it is not about you. And our primary focus is what Jesus said. If one of the hundred sheep leaves, I'm going after the hundred sheep. You're going to be good. I'll see you in heaven. Let's go church. And so as I end, I just want to end with these couple verses because here's Jesus' promise and here's the connecting link. Jesus says to us, and I want to draw two very specific applications the next two weeks. Jesus says to us as the church, this is not just an individual invitation. This is a corporate invitation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And here's what I love, and this goes back to that moment on the hillside, that you, we, the body of Christ, we have keys to that door. We have the ability to open that door. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus' words on that hillside, you will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. So here I am. I'm standing at that door and I'm knocking. And the keys that access his kingdom and his power are on the other side of your comfort. Just mark it down. So my question is just this. Like, if we took that seriously, what might happen? So I'm gonna ask you two questions and I'm not gonna be super specific because the Holy Spirit has the ability to do that for me. God, I, this I think is is our posture and our invitation to God himself if you're a follower of Jesus. God, where do you wanna send me where do you want to stretch me? God, where do you want to send me? For, for many of us, maybe even a majority who I'm speaking to, you have sat comfortably and idly by and God is calling you into something. God, where are you sending me? Because in many cases, until I'm ready to move, I will not experience the full measure of God's power, God's presence, God's destiny over my life. God, where do you want to send me? And God, where do you want to stretch me? Listen, do not wait till you are ready to do anything. God is not going to wait till you're ready. In fact, he wants to use you in those moments where you don't feel ready in order to stretch your faith. Any of the areas where God has worked in my life the most, most is when my knees have been shaking and I'm not really sure and there's a little bit of insecurity and God's like, now's the time. I want you to go, I want you to step up. God, where do you wanna send me? God, where do you wanna stretch me? Because Jesus made this promise. I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I think it's possible 
to play this religious game and we're gonna all sing songs and this last song is gonna be amazing and then we're gonna go our way. And many of us are gonna never engage with no intention of actually stepping out. And I think it's why in some of our families, some of our homes individually and in some of our churches, we see a lot more kingdom of this earth dysfunction overriding the kingdom of heaven power. But the reality is, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Not the hell of mental illness, not the hell of abuse, not the hell of hypocrisy, not the hell of Christians who judge more than they love, not the hell of leaders who abuse their power, not the hell of addiction, not the hell of suicide, not the hell of a culture that is out of control, not the hell of people who have lost all of their hope. There is no power that can stand up against the power of Jesus when we decide we are the church. I am a follower of Jesus. And the moment I place my faith and trust to believe that Jesus died and rose again physically, literally the spirit of God comes to inhabit me in the scripture says that all of the power that raised Christ from the dead is in me. And in that moment, the reality is on all of us that we have the keys to access the power of the chain breaking miraculous movement of God in our life. If we are willing to move in his direction, he says to us, church, I'm going one day to overcome hell, literal hell and physical hell in your life. And if you are not seeing me heal marriages and break addictions and change your city and reach people far from God and turning enemies into friends, even though we don't believe the same thing. You have lost sight of what I'm trying to do in your generation. And you have gotten comfortable with sitting in seats, looking at screens, singing your favorite songs, never engaging. And you have stepped outside of the will of God for your life in this generation. And the moment that you move back in my generation, I will move, I will heal, I will create miracles. I will freaking turn your city upside down. I did it with 12 guys with no influence, no education, and no political standing. I could take your community group and turn your city upside down, but you have got to step out of what is comfortable once and for all. I know it's been difficult. I know it's been hard. You serve a resurrected savior. Final verse from Jesus, because I think it says it well, and I think it really, it really wraps up Jesus' motivation in his writing to Laodicea and then what he would want us to hear 2,000 years later. He says this in verse 19, the people I love, I call to account. I prod them, I correct them, I guide them so they'll live at their best. And I love these words, up on your feet then. Hey, Laodicea, up on your feet. I just wanna say this to us as we conclude. Like if you're in that place to go, you know what? God's calling me that there's, there's a part of me where I, I just need to ask God, where are you sending me? Where are you stretching me? God, where are you sending me? Where are you stretching me? Where are you sending me? Where are you stretching me? So I wanna give you this invitation, like physically, physically this invitation right now in this moment. On your feet. Right now, if that's you, on your feet. 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 About face which means repent. I'm letting go of this and I'm going this direction because I want to live at my best. I want to live with all that God's called me to. Run. Complacency, comfort for some of us. It needs to die in this moment right here. It is not your friend. Run after God.
because the church has been the epicenter of Jesus' power for 2,000 years, and it still is. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. Jesus, I thank you so much for your power, for your presence, for your promise. I thank you right now for what you're doing in this moment. And I pray that over these weeks, that you would move something in us to lift our heads, to renew our vision. And this is not moving to a place where we're unaware of what's going on around us or, or we're not clued into the struggle, we get it. But Lord, we need to lift our heads to you to get you and to understand your power and your invitation and what you are inviting us into. And so I pray for many, you would renew our faith. You would move us out of what is comfortable. You would get us back on our feet. We'd start to run after God and that we would expect you to move and work in not just our lives, because individually we are a part of a corporate identity. We would begin to pray for you to move through our church and our churches to change our city. And we pray this in the chain-breaking power of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.